Good morning. It's good to see each of you here today, and we praise God that Jesus Christ is risen. Martin Luther was once doing devotions, and he did Genesis 22 about Abraham and Isaac. And as he told the story for devotion, his wife Katie said, God wouldn't do his child like that. And Martin Luther replied, oh, but Katie, he did. That he was willing to give his only son for the ransom for the many. As we come today to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ, a lot of people will see the purple on the crosses, the white on the crosses, as churches you'll go by. You'll see the lilies. You'll see the beautiful outfits that people wear for Easter. And we celebrate that Christ is risen, but if you will bear with me, I need to share with you why He died. You see, one of the greatest tragedies we can have is not to hear the gospel in its completeness. And if you would, please stand with me as we read the Word of God. You can follow on the screen or you can read in your Bibles. We'll begin in Luke 23, Luke 23, verses 32 through 49. Again, stand with me as we read. Two others also who were criminals were being led away to be put to death with him. And when they had came to the place called the skull, they were crucified with him and the criminals. One on the right and the other on the left. But Jesus saying, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they cast lots, dividing up his garments among themselves. And the people stood by looking on. Even the rulers were sneering at him, saying he saved others. Let him save himself, if this is the Christ of God, his chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up to him, offering him sour wine, and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. Now there was also an inscription above him, This is the king of the Jews. And one of the criminals who were hanged there was hurling abuse at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other answered in rebuking him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? Are we, and we indeed, are suffering justly? For we are receiving what we deserve for our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. And he was saying, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said unto him, Truly I say to you, today you shall be with me in paradise. It was now about the sixth hour, and darkness fell over the whole land until the ninth hour. Because the sun was obscured and the veil of the temple was torn in two. And Jesus crying out with a loud voice said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Having said this, he breathed his last. And now when the centurion saw what had happened, he began praising God, saying, Certainly this man was innocent. And all the crowds who came together for this spectacle, when they observed what had happened, began to return, beating their breast. And all his acquaintances and the women who accompanied him from Galilee we're standing at the distance, seeing these things. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. <clears throat> God, we pray that your name would be glorified in all things. God, you are worthy. Lord, we thank you for your son Jesus who went to Calvary and paid a debt he did not owe because we owed a debt we could not pay. God, I pray if there's one that does not have a relationship with you today, that Lord, you'd convict their hearts before it's eternally too late. Lord, we give you praise and glory for all you do. And all God's people said, Amen. You may be seated. 
If we could go back to the first slide, before we get to the resurrection of Christ, I want to share share with you how and why He died. You must go back a few days earlier as Jesus was riding through the Jerusalem on a donkey that they were saying, Blessed is He who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna. You see, but as He got closer to the end of the week and He would go through and He would flip the tables in the temple because of the money changers, people began to turn against Him because what the people were looking for was a king to deliver them from their current situation which was being under the oppression of Rome. But Christ had different plans. It wasn't the immediate situation of the Jews that troubled Him, but it was their hearts and souls. You see, you must understand that all of us in our own way want to do things the way we want them done. I spoke on this Wednesday how we are people of instant gratification. You know what I mean. You want it like J.D. Wentworth. I want my way and I want it now. We're all like that. And during this time of oppression through, for the Jews, the Hebrews, they were under, they were under oppression by, by, by Rome who were severely treating them, treating them as people that are lower than life. And they wanted rescue from that. But the rescue that they desired was only temporary. But what Christ would bring was eternal. And they turned on Him. Even those who hung out with Him also would turn on Him. And we get to a part where I want to share something with you that amazes me. As I was reading this text, it says, Two others also, who were criminals, were being led to be put to death with Him when they came to the place called the Skull. You may have heard Calvary, which is from the Latin, Calvaria. Or Cronia, from the Greek. We get our word, Cranium. The place of the Skull, which was a bald place, that they was outside the city walls where they would take the utmost and most horrible criminals to hang them on a cross. You see, the Romans did not perfect or did not start crucifixion. The Persians did. But the Romans perfected it. As a matter of fact, Clark says this, How bad was crucifixion? We get our English word excruciating from the Roman word out of the cross. How heinous sin must have been in the sight of God when it requires such a sacrifice. You see, Jesus was hung between two criminals. But if you look at the story and go back a tad, you will see as Jesus is with Pilate, Pilate asked them, Who shall I release to you? And they cried out, Barabbas. I could not help but as going through this text, was that center cross? For Barabbas? Was it for him? But yet, they turned on Christ. But you must understand something very clearly. Yet he was crucified with sinners. He had total control. Well, what do you mean? John 10 tells us very clearly, nobody, Jesus said, nobody takes my life from me, but I freely give it. Jesus also said when he was standing before Pilate, Pilate said, do you not understand that I have the power to let you go? And Jesus told him, you don't have any power that hadn't already been given to you. Christ was in control. And he laid down his life willfully. When they came to the place called the skull where they crucified him with the criminals, one on his right, 
One on his left, Jesus was saying, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. I want you to listen to the volume of this statement. That Jesus Christ was fulfilling his own command for us to love others as we love ourselves. Yet those who mocked him, who scorned him, who ridiculed him, he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And let this be a lesson to all of us. If the Savior of the world can forgive those who mocked him, who are we to not forgive those who are around us? Christ says very clearly, if you do not show forgiveness, I will not show you forgiveness in front of my Father. In his agony, he forgave. What lesson does that speak to us? Have you ever had unforgiveness for anybody? So many times people say, I can forgive, but I can't forget. Have you really forgiven? The question of the ages. Who are we not to forgive, yet Christ forgave us? But let's go further. And they cast lots, dividing his garments up, up among them. In other words, they were tossing their form of dice to see what have the clothes of this man who hung on the cross. And the people stood by looking on. And even the rulers were sneering at him, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself, if this is Christ of God, the chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up to him and offering uh, sour wine, and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. And there was an inscription above him saying, This is the king of the Jews. Do you understand what is happening here? Everybody had turned on Jesus. I want to make something very clear as we celebrate Christ rising and His risen today. That only Christ could have tolerated the jeers of man. Only Christ could have went through what He went through and rose again. Only Christ could have suffered the way He suffered. Have you ever thought about this? What is it like to be mocked and persecuted? What is it like to have people make fun of you? A lot of times when people jeer at us or make fun of us, we pick up our ball and we go home. We often, come, we often talk about here nowadays lately, whether it's in the workplace or wherever, wherever it may be, that people wear their feelings on their shoulder. Everybody's offended by everything nowadays. You can watch the news, you can go to workplace, you can hang out even in your home where people are totally offended by everything. And yet the man who is the Son of God got hurled, spat upon, and murdered on the cross for you. And he forgive them, or said forgive them, for they know not what they do. Is that not powerful? Is that not why we're here? To celebrate he that you know sin became sin for us. I want you to think about this for a second. What offends you? What offends you and hurts your feelings? What makes you mad? What are some of the things that, that insult you? That bring you to a point where you want to fight? To where you want to argue? To you want to say bad things? Is it easy to forgive those that you don't like? It's very easy to love those that love you back. But what about those that don't? What upsets us? You know, I thought about this text. Here there's several people around the cross. There are those that are leaders that are mocking him. Why are they mocking him? He wasn't the Jesus they wanted. 
They're soldiers mocking him because they wasn't, he wasn't the Jesus that they thought he would be. And if you ever noticed in text that you will only see one disciple that is listed with him, which is John, where are all of his followers? Are they hiding? Isn't it amazing that sometimes we can feel during the greatest times that we're all alone? That's how Christ felt. But yet he said, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Even people would cry out, if you're the king of the Jews, save yourself. Now there was also an inscription that says, this is the king of the Jews. You know, something that amazes me about this text is the fact that here a man is, who is fully God, fully man, taking on the sin of the world. He is taking the sin of the world. The Bible tells us, he who knew no sin became sin, that we might be free. Do you not realize that at any time, Christ could have called a quits to this? If the Bible tells us that he lays his life down willfully, that nobody takes it from him, if he tells us that he is in complete control, do you not realize that at any moment in time, he could have called a legion of angels to come down and rescue him? But he didn't. Yes, we celebrate that he is risen. But brothers and sisters, and if you are sitting here today, I want you to understand why he died. Because he loved you. One of the criminals who were there with him was hurling abuse at him. And he said, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself. But the other answered and rebuking him said, Do you not even fear God since you are under the same condemnation? Now I want you to think about this for a few minutes, minutes as I get into the meat of the sermon, if you will. I said that the title of the sermon is called, But Two Men at the Cross. Now understand that Matthew and Mark will tell us that there was two thieves that hung with them, hung with Christ. And according to both Mark and Matthew, both of them hurled insults at Jesus. Jesus was hang, would hang on the cross for about six hours. But something changed says, are you not the Christ? Save yourself. One of them is, is accusing Christ. But the, answer, but the other answer is saying, do you not even fear God since you are under the same condemnation? And we indeed are suffering justly, for we are receiving what we deserve for our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. I want to make something very clear here. And if you have a pencil, I want you to jot this down. You see, during this whole time on the cross, that other thief was listening. That other thief was listening to every word that Jesus uttered, and he listened to the crowds. He must have heard Jesus say, forgive them, for they know not what they do. That this man would watch them in the midst of his pain offer forgiveness. He heard this. But I want you to look at the difference between the two thieves. The Bible says in Matthew and Mark that both of them hurled insults at him. But something changed. One's eyes were opened and the other's was blind. I want to look at two, uh, four points here. And I want you to jot this down and let's look at Scripture. Number one, he recognized his own guilt. 
He recognized his own guilt. Listen to me, people. One of the first things that you must do to have a relationship with Jesus Christ is understand that you are guilty. You must understand that you are guilty. There is none righteous. No, not one. You may say, well, they're worse than I am. They spent time in prison. Or they've shot 14 people. They've done this crime. They're mean. Let me tell you something. You, in your best day, your righteousness is but filthy rags. The Bible tells us that. Let me tell you something very clearly about this. We must understand that all of us are guilty before Christ. He admits that. He recognizes his own guilt. Look what he says. Do you not fear God? Seeing we are under the same condemnation, and we indeed are suffering justly. I want you to think about this for a few moments. Now, now go with me. This is where I get excited. Okay? Here's a man also in pain. Let me explain crucifixion to you. You see, crucifixion was a point in which they would try to get you to either have congestive heart failure or congestion by the fluid buildup and the pressure of your weight. Not only when they would do this, when they would drive nails into your wrist, they would sever that nerve. So you would have shooting pains. But regardless of whether they nailed you or they tied you up, it was a long, drawn-out death. A lot of times the Romans would feel sorry for people and break their legs so they couldn't push yourself up and they would suffocate. But yet this thief is watching Jesus and the other criminal is just like him. Can you imagine that what you had to do to be able to breathe on the cross was to pull yourself up and then let yourself down? The conversations wasn't easy, people. But let me tell you something, that even in the midst of his agony, he cried out to Jesus because his eyes were open. His immediate situation wasn't to come down from the cross. His immediate situation is he knew he needed a Savior, and he cried out to Christ. He recognized his own guilt. And brothers and sisters, he's not like any of us. Every one of us, life treats every one of us differently. But I can approve you, or I can affirm and tell to you today that death is going to treat us all the same. And Wood's mortuary that holds all the coffins of people you know, I can assure you, will one day hold yours. I do not know when you're going to leave this world, but you can know how you leave it. Just like the thief, listen, recognize your own guilt. Number two, he recognized Christ's innocence. Because only Jesus Christ who is fully God and fully man, could have paid for the price of sin. The Bible tells me very clearly that he who knew no sin became sin for us. And only Christ, who was perfectly God, completely man, could have had victory over sin. For we are all sinners and come short of the glory of God. He recognized Christ's innocence. Look what he says. This man has done nothing wrong. We are getting what we deserve. How many criminals say, I didn't do it? And in the final hours of his life, he says, I'm guilty. 
You know, one time I met a man when I was being commissioned as a missionary in Indianapolis, Indiana, in 2014. I sat with a man who had served 30 years of his life in prison. He was a gang leader. And he had been saved and God had called him to preach. And he walked across the stage with me to preach the gospel. And I sit here and I, and I got to talking with him. Big man, very intimidating man. But he loved Jesus. And he told me this, and I want you to hear it real clearly. As we were sitting there talking, he said, I will tell you, sir, that I am one of the ones that sit in prison and would tell you I did it. Yes, I did it and was proud of it. I was guilty. But Christ took my guilt. And not only am I free from man's chains, I am free from my spiritual chains and proclaim that Jesus Christ is King. Man, y'all want to get excited about that? You may not have been in jail for 30 years, but I can tell you this. You may have been the perfect angel in your family's eyes, but you're still filthy rags in God's. There's nobody in here above anybody. Not even including me. I put my britches on just like everybody else. I am a man who is in need of a Savior, Jesus Christ. And I am a man just like this thief who will get what he deserves. We often cry to God for justice. You don't want that. Because God is just. But this thief recognized his guilt. And he recognized Christ's innocence. And he cried, number three, unto Jesus. The Bible tells me that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. you hear me? No matter where you've been, no matter what you've done, I don't care who your mom and daddy are. I don't care what you think you've done in your past, past and 15 years ago or whether you did in 15 minutes. Christ is still able to forgive. That is why we're here today. But look what he also said. He believed Christ completely. Not only did He call upon Him, He believed in Him. He said this, Listen, remember me when you come into your kingdom. This thief asked asked Christ to be a part of His kingdom, but I tell you what Jesus said, I'll give you paradise. Amen? Truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. It was now by the sixth hour and darkness fell over the whole land until the ninth hour. Because the sun was obscured and the veil of the temple was torn in two. It's another beautiful story that I must share with you. You see, you must understand that in this passage, something happened when Jesus died. You see, the Old Testament points to Christ. As they would have the temple and the veil of the Holy of Holies where God's presence dwelt, something happened when Christ died. The sun was darkened and the veil was torn in two. Let me tell you what that means, people. Number one, by the veil being torn in two, you don't need no mediator. You can go to Christ directly. Amen? Amen. Don't need no priest. I can go to Jesus. I have access to the throne. Because the temple is not made by human hands, but by the Spirit of God that lives in every one of those who believe. 
you can go to Him directly. God does not dwell in temples made by human hands. He dwells in the hearts of the believers. You know, I think about this. You know, the priest would make atonement for sin. They would bring an animal. The animal would be slaughtered. He'd lay his hands, therefore transferring guilt, and he would cover the sin. But yet a year, every year, he would have to make intercession for his own sin or atonement. Because he was a man. Listen to me very clearly. The priest covered the sin. Only Jesus Christ can take it. Or the, 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 the priest covered the sin. Only Jesus Christ can take it away. The Bible tells me that whosoever shall call upon His name shall be saved. That is why we're here today. The Bible tells me that the sun was obscured. There was a great earthquake. This is so cool to me. Origen, Eusebius, Philegon told the story from extracurricular works that this happened. Not only does God's Word says it happened, but there were witnesses that said it's happened. Have you ever thought about this? If you want to know the reliance of God's Word, we have more copies of a secular work, the most that we have, the more copies of the most that we have, are from Homer, who wrote the Iliad. There's about 500 copies. There's 5,000 of the Word of God. He promised His Word would never return void. That it is real, it is alive, and it's been reserved for us. And not only does it attest to itself, but outside sources say Jesus is who He says He is. Look at what it says. And when the veil was torn in two, Jesus crying with a loud voice said, Father, into Your hands I commit My Spirit. Having said this, He breathed His last. And we hear the word to tell us die. It is finished. God's Word is fulfilled and finished. He who knew no sin became sin. The Bible tells us for the wages of sin is death. Every one of us are going to die. I want you to hear me. There's not any of us can take anything with us. Listen to me clearly. There's nobody in here that's going to take anything that you have with you. I've never seen a hearse pulling a U-Haul. Well, actually, one time I have, but that's side the point. But let me put it to you another way. What you own today, your family or friends will fight over tomorrow. And that's a fact. You're not guaranteed tomorrow there's some of you might step out this door and step out into eternity. You see, what I want you to learn about this first part of the third, first thief is this. This is the Bible's only, only, and first deathbed confession. Listen to me very clearly. Which tells us two things and I want you to listen to me. Number one, that there's always hope. Regardless of where you are, there's always hope. And your brothers and sisters or friends or family that may not have a relationship with Christ, you continue to pray because God is the one that brings salvation. But I want to give you a warning, number two, that not all of us get that opportunity. You are not guaranteed tomorrow. The Bible tells me in the book of James that our life is but a vapor. You hear for a moment and then you're gone. 
Life treats every one of us differently. But death is going to treat us all the same. Do you have a relationship with Christ? He breathed his last. It is finished. The redemptive plan is done. He who knew no sin became sin. Everything that you've done in your life and will do was paid for on the cross. Every filthy, disgusting thing that's ever come into your mind or you've ever had your hand in was paid for on the cross. But let me tell you something. Just like the good news is said, you may be as unrighteous, which you are. You may have walked a different life than me, but yet you're unrighteous. So am I. But the moment that I place my faith and trust in Christ, recognize my guilt, recognized his innocence, and ask forgiveness, he give it. And the Bible tells me no matter what I've done, it's been wiped clean as far as the east and to the west. Is that you today? You say, Chad, I know Jesus. That's great. The Bible says demons believe and they tremble. My question is, does Jesus know you? You see, if I go to the White House... And I said, I'm here to see the president. I know him. They're not going to let me in. But I can promise you, if I go to the White House and he knows me, they'll let me in. You see, here's the deal. It's not that you know Christ, but that Christ knows you. You see, here's the deal. This first thief saw a problem when he hung on the cross. Out of misery, he cried out in a loud voice, Lord, save yourself. I can hear it now. They both hurled insults. But as he saw Jesus Christ in his glory, hanging on this cross as a man, taking the wrath of God, his eyes were opened. And recognizing the guilt, recognizing Christ's innocence, he cried out for forgiveness. And praise God, Jesus, give it. Amen? You are not too far from Christ. I don't care where you are or where you've been. And I know I've repeated that, but I want to make it perfectly clear. You cry out to Christ. He will save you. He will change you. And He will give you a new nature. Because, listen, if there would never have been a birth, there would have never been a death. And if there would have never been a resurrection, there would have never been hope. But our hope is by the God's grace alone, in faith alone, by Christ alone. To God be the glory. Amen. Listen to me. The Bible says, having said this, he breathed this last. Christ died. But the Bible also says in the next, in the next where he says, you'll be with me in paradise. And he dies. It says, now when the centurion saw what happened, he began praising God, said, certainly this man was innocent. Do you hear this? One's a thief. One's a participant on the cross. One is a bystander. He is a bystander. He sees the very same thing that is happening to Christ. He's not participating in the misery, but he's being able to watch it firsthand. And he says, certainly this man was innocent. Do you see the pattern? The recognition of a Gentile soldier. Let me tell you what this means. That that man that was crucified, and that man that was a crucifier came to know and be known by the same Christ. That is powerful, my brothers and sisters. Listen to me. Certainly this man was innocent. And all the crowds 
came together for this spectacle. And when they observed what had happened, began to return, beating their breast. You see, beating your chest was a sign of lament. They went away mourning. Now, I'm not going to tell you that everybody was at the cross believed. Because it's very clear they didn't. But some did. And as some went away mourning, let me tell you a little story. Joy come a couple of days later. Now let's talk about this. <clears throat> Today we celebrate the resurrected Christ. And as someone shared in our earlier service this morning, the only thing that you've contributed to your salvation is your sin. Period. There is nothing that you can do to save yourself whether you're participating in horrible actions, whether you watch it, whether you feel you're a good person, whether you feel you're not, let me tell you something, Jesus still saves. But are you willing to put your faith and trust in Him? Turn from your sin, repent of it, and follow Christ with all your heart? You see, what I want you to understand this morning, the only way that we can be saved is to place our faith and trust in Jesus. For God said, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever would believe in Him would not perish but have everlasting life. You see, by Jesus dying on the cross, He paid the price for your sin. By Jesus raising from the dead, He had victory over it. Now listen, this is beautiful. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever would believe in Him would not perish but have eternal life. Not believing that Jesus, but believing in Jesus. Big difference. You see, there's a lot of people that believe that Jesus lived. That's what James is saying. A lot of people believe that Jesus existed. Some of the most heinous and horrible human beings you've ever known believe Jesus existed. You may believe He existed, but there's a difference in believing that and believing in. Believing that is He's just some figure. Let me put it to you another way that my congregation hears me say quite a lot. If my wife says she believes in me, she is not saying that she believes I exist. I am 300 pounds of existence. But if she says she believes in me, it means she trusts me as her husband to take care of her to the best of my ability. Let me tell you something. I will fail her as a man. But when I put my faith in Christ to let him lead and guide my life, I can promise he has never let me down, nor will he let you down. Because he was perfect. Only a perfect Christ could have died on the cross for your sin. And only perfect 100% God could have risen above death above it. Amen? Now listen. i water here. I want to share with you this morning something very clear. It is not by our merit that we're saved, but by God's grace. Does Christ know you? You see, if I could make something very clear in closing my part of it, and we'll be having the Lord's Supper here in a few moments, but listen, I want you to listen to me clearly. I know this world is tough. I know some of you are concerned about finances, other countries. We see that the currency is not doing too good. People are losing their jobs. Diseases and sicknesses are everywhere. 
But I pray that maybe, just maybe, every one of you see and everybody out there in that world that this government or anything else is going to save you. You see, Napoleon had a great general. And one day after battle, his great general was hurt and was laying in the bed crying for Napoleon. And Napoleon went to see this general. And he looked in on him and he said, Napoleon, please save me. And Napoleon shook his head and walked out. You see, that soldier kept crying, Napoleon, come back. Come back. Please save me. And if you don't know your history, Napoleon was the most fiercest leaders of France. But yet, Napoleon, in all his pomp and glory, could not save a soul. And the man died thinking that Napoleon was going to save him. I want you to be understood of this. There's no government entity, nor your mom and daddy, your brother, your best friend, or your dog going to save you. Only Christ can. And like I wanted to share with you this morning completely clearly, that I don't care whether you've done whatever you've done. I'm not here to judge you. You say, Chad, you have no clue what I've done. Christ does. And the same Christ that cleansed the thief, that cleansed me, and if cleansed you, can cleanse others, and don't you ever forget it. You are not that far, far, far apart from Christ that you cannot be cleansed. But I want you to understand, it's not just believing that, it's believing in. Have you placed your faith and trust in Him? That you recognize your own guilt? That you recognize Christ's innocence? And you've cried out, God, have mercy on me? That's salvation. That's putting your faith and trust in Jesus. And let me tell you another little quick story as we close. One day, I was reading an article about Billy Graham, who had sent out a message to the mayor of a town that he was going to do a revival in. And he sent that mayor this note that said, Look, we'll be doing this revival. Is there anybody that we can pray for? Is there any situation that we can pray for? Anybody that you know we can pray for? And the mayor sent him a phone book. Because let me tell you this, there is nobody in that phone book that is innocent. We're all guilty and deserve the same wrath. But Jesus Christ in all His glory died for you. He that knew no sin became sin. In the same power, listen, this is it, listen. The same power that rose Jesus from the dead is alive in all those who believe. Does He know you? Does He know you? You see, just in a few moments, as Justin's come up, Justin comes up, we'll be having the ordinance of the Lord's Supper. And he's going to explain that to you. And he will explain that this is not going to save you or change you. But it's a celebration of Christ's life, death, burial, and resurrection. And one day he's coming back. Let me give it to you very plainly. Philippians tells me that at the sound of his voice, Every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. You can bow now or you can bow later, but I can promise every one of you going to bow. Does he know you? Every head bowed, every eye closed. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for the day.
Lord, I thank You for the risen Christ, the empty tomb. Lord, I thank You for that day at 659 Jordan Road, You found me. Lord, I wasn't a criminal in the world's eyes, but I was a criminal in Yours. And yet, in Your own mercy, You saved me, and I've never been the same. And God, I pray today that if there's one that is here today that does not have a relationship with You, that You convict their heart, Lord. Lord, what profit... What, what, man, what profit the world to gain the world? What profit a man to gain the world and lose his soul? Lord, every soul in here matters. Everyone. And God, I pray today that you convict hearts. And God, as we leave to spend time with family, we may be celebrating the meal. Lord, let us never forget the price paid on Calvary. Lord, let us seek your face in all that we do. And Lord, right now, we're going to have a few moments and we're going to celebrate your table, the Lord's Supper. Lord, there's no transubstantiation. There's no literal coming of the body and blood of this partaking. But Lord, it is a time where we reflect, we remember, and we celebrate the life, death, burial, and resurrection. And God, one day you're coming back. Lord, one day we're going to stand before you. Lord, you may come back tomorrow, but if you don't, I'm going to leave this earth one day. And Lord, I don't know when I'm going to leave it, but Lord, I know how I'm going to leave it because of my faith and trust in you. You that knew no sin became sin for me. And God, every person here has had actively or currently a God-sized hole that only you can fill. And God, some way, shape, form, or fashion, we have belittled your name because we thought our way was better than yours. But God, you reserve wrath because your name will not be belittled. <clears throat> and that wrath that you reserve that is due for us, as that thief said, we get what we deserve. The wrath that was due us, God, you poured out upon your son and you crushed him. But Lord, three days later, he would come out that grave. And again, the same power that rose him from the dead is at work in all of those who will place their faith and trust in you and believe. We must be born again. And God, we thank you so much for the price paid on Calvary. Lord, we thank you so much for the work on the cross, the thief on the cross the centurion by the cross, and those who came after the cross, that, Lord, you are still able to save. We thank you and we love you, and all God's people said, Pastor Justin. Good morning. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. There's uh, two ordinances we follow in the Baptist Church, one being uh, believers' baptism, which we'll celebrate next Sunday, as uh, someone has made a profession of faith, and we're going to celebrate that together. You know, and baptism is the immersion of the believer in the water in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You know, it's something to do as an act of obedience 
of an individual which symbolizes the believer's faith in a crucified, buried, and risen Savior and the believer's death to sin, the burial of the old life, and the resident to walk in the newness and the life of Jesus Christ. In other words, it's an outward, outward expression of an inward change. This morning, we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper, which we are celebrating together, is a symbolic act of obedience whereby members of the church, through partaking of the bread and the fruit of the vine, memorialize the death of the Redeemer and anticipate his second coming. I'm going to ask that if everybody would stand with me as we read through 1 Corinthians, beginning in chapter 11, verse 23. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread. And when he had given thanks broken and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also he took the cup after supper and said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup... You proclaim, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So then whoever eats the bread or drinks of the cup of the Lord is in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sin against the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself, and this is important. Let a person examine himself in this way. Let him eat the bread and drink from the cup. For whoever eats and drinks without recognizing the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. This is why many are sick and ill among you, and many have fallen asleep. If we were properly judging ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined, so that we may not be condemned with the world. Please be seated. So when we say remember his death, we're remembering why Jesus Christ died. It's not like looking back on a particular date in history when we Look back on what Jesus did for us on the cross. We can see this wonderful blessing or ever-present relationship with the living God. Our reconciliation with the Father. This new intimate personal relationship. We think of the past and what Jesus has done for us, but we also look at what is to come. In verse 26, For often, as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. The elements of the Lord's Supper, those things are something we maintain as remembrance until the return of Jesus Christ. What we are doing here is proclaiming the Lord's death, what he has done for us, that he's the only one that can be, save us from our eternal separation and deliver us into eternity, glorifying the Father. And one day, just as he rose from the dead, he will return. It's a proclamation that looks towards the future that the one who died for us is coming to return. He will come back for his church, but he will also pass judgment on the world. Remember that reconciliation to the Father is not based on our own works or that of others, but solely on what Jesus Christ did for us on Calvary and repenting of our sins and placing our faith and trust in him. Through Christ alone, we are redeemed. Jesus said, as recorded in John 14, I am the way and I am the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus didn't say, I am a way. He didn't say, I am a truth. He didn't say, I am a life. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. And if he didn't make that clear enough for us, he said, no one, no one 
comes to the Father except through him. This is what we're claiming along with eager anticipation of his return that we should be mindful also of our own hearts. And looking at beginning of verse 27. So then whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sin against the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself in the way, let him eat the bread and drink from the cup. For whoever eats and drinks without recognizing the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. Paul is not saying here that we must be worthy to, t- to partake in the Lord's Supper. Rather, he's directing us, warning us, we should take it in a worthy manner. So what does this mean, you know, this, this worthy manner? We have to start by examining our hearts. Is there anything in your life, something against a brother or sister in the body of Christ, maybe a sin you're holding on to? As we reflect on what Christ has done for us and we partake in the Lord's Supper this morning, lay it before the Lord. Don't partake in communion without withholding these feelings or the sin in your heart. This is a celebration of his victory over sin, his victory over death. And if you're not right with the Lord and partaking of these elements, you know, in an unworthy manner, basically you're tramping on the very reason why he came and what he did for us. So again, we are told to examine ourselves, examine our hearts. And this can be a hard thing to do. You know, we often try to justify our sin or justify our feelings towards others. But is there anything in your life out of order in regard to God's word? We all long for that blessing of the Lord in our our lives. So why should we steal that with disobedience to his word? Sometimes I think we often don't examine our hearts as thoroughly as we should. And in humble obedience... We ask the Holy Spirit to examine us. We may not always be aware of the areas in our lives where we are walking in sin, but that doesn't mean we're innocent. We need the Spirit to reveal to us those areas in our hearts and our lives that are maybe out of order with God's Word. You know, David prayed a prayer in Psalm 139. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me, know my anxious thoughts. See if there's anything offensive or any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. This is a prayer of such honesty and openness. It says to God that we need his holiness to examine our hearts, that we can't do it on our own. Our attitudes, our hearts, should be that when we bring that thing to Jesus, that thing to God, that sin to him, lay it at his feet, knowing what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross, that we ask for his blessings, his power to walk in victory over sin, not our own. Only through him can we walk in holiness, his righteousness. We must come before God with an open and honest heart so that we may partake in these elements in a worthy manner. So we are celebrating a selfless act. We are celebrating a risen Christ, Jesus Christ. We cannot celebrate selfishly or half-heartedly. And we also eagerly anticipate his return. This should bring us all to the understanding of how undeserving we are and how gracious he is. You know, it's been said at the reflection of our lives, we see the goodness of the Lord. During this time, we are celebrating and reflecting on the sacrifice Jesus Christ made and through our ordinance of the Lord's Supper. It is through Christ alone we find our worth, and that's something we're celebrating. This is time for remembrance and reflection and praise of his holy name. Now I'm going to ask the deacons to come forward. And they're going to hold up these trays.
and stand here out front. What we're going to do is we're going to have a time of prayer. The Lord suffers for born-again believers only. If you are a believer and you are struggling some area of your life, use this time to take it to God and make it right. This time when we come to God completely yielding to what Jesus did for us on the cross, the debt he did not owe, the debt we could not pay. Christ took upon the full wrath of God upon himself and his, his obedient servitude, he is our reconciliation. Again, examine your hearts. Take it to God. Spend time in prayer. When you're ready, come forward and come to one of the deacons and take the elements back to your seats and just wait for a few minutes because we're going to go through this together. All eyes closed and every head bowed. Let's pray. Everyone have your wafer. The word says, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread. And when he had given thanks, broken and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let us pray. Lord, thank you for your body. We thank you for your sacrifice. Lord, we thank you for every nail. You were crushed for our sin, and we, Lord, we love you and we praise you. Let us never forget. Amen. Again, when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper and said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Let us pray. Lord, thank you for the blood you shed on Calvary. Jesus, fully God, fully man, yet without sin. Paying a price, showing mercy that would be extended to us. Thank you for your grace. Amen. Do this often as you drink it in remembrance of me. The Bible, tell, <coughs> excuse me. The Bible tells us that that night, they sang. And as we close, I'm going to ask everybody to stand and invite the band to the stage and let us worship together and sing with joyful hearts that we have been forever transformed by the blood of the Lamb. Let us pray. Father, thank you doesn't start it. Doesn't get come close to it. My righteousness is a filthy rags and you've Sought fit for your spirit to fill someone like me, to show me love when I was so unlovable. Father, thank you for your son. Thank you for the broken body, the blood shed, for redeeming us, for giving us reconciliation to you. Father, if there's anybody here that does not know you, I pray your spirit, I pray he convicts hearts plants that seed that they would come to know you have a relationship with your son, Jesus Christ. And through him, all things we are thankful for now and forever. Amen. Let us worship. In Christ alone my hope is found 